0: there's other kinds of frames i don't know if i can keep talking should i
1: yeah. if you're on a thought let it slow yeah
0: you can edit it out later. yeah
1: David Gewanter's new book Fort Necessity from the University of Chicago Press shapes poems from testimony by factory workers, convicts, plutocrats, and anarchists. It dramatizes industrial labor, violence, and the creative body from the Carnegie era's homestead battle to the Koch brothers. His other poetry books from Chicago are Warbird, The Sleep of Reason, and In the Belly. He is co-editor of Robert Lowell Collected Poems FSG. His prizes include the Zacharis First Book Prize, the James Lowland Prize Finalist, The Brenner Fellowship, the Whitting Award, Ambassador Book Award, and the Hopwood Award. He spoke on PBS NewsHour and on the Library of Congress's Poet and Poem. A Berkeley grad, he teaches at Georgetown and lives in Washington, D.C., and we are so happy to have him today. So, Dr. David Guanter has a really great... Should I just call you David? What do you want me to do for David this? David is fine. David is That's fine. my
0: students call me. Oh, okay. Although they're trying for Uncle, uncle David at this point.
1: <laughs> uncle David.
0: <laughs> I think it's the white hair. Oh. I'm not sure. Huh. They have some angle.
1: <laughs> I don't ask. Does it make them more comfortable, do you think?
0: Um, well, I tell them that, you know, they don't have to consider white patriarchy in abstraction. Uh, it's me. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm it. I'm an old white man. Uh-huh. So they don't know what to do with a comment like that.
1: So (laughs) So they just go for uncle. (laughs) No,
0: they just, they, they, I think they're calling me professor or something like that. Anyway, we're all adults. (laughs) So
1: David David works? David is fine. David has a poem for us called The Coin Purse that I think would be a really great thing to do first, if you don't mind, because it'll, it'll be related to the prompts. And after you read it, we'll, we'll break it down slightly. Um, But not too much, because just like last week, everybody, we want you to go into the poem that you write and send to us with the idea that you can take bits and pieces of the prompt, but you don't need to necessarily follow it line by line, word by word.
0: Okay, this is kind of an overheard poem. It's a poem that somebody else says, and it's from my book called uh, Fort Necessity that came out last year. The Coin Purse. She said, I always talk against my chances paint a picture of what I want, and show the ways I won't get it. I fill up a room of desires, tally all the pieces there, and then, like the moving man, carry out the cargo. Such freedom. When it's empty, that is, when I see my listeners' eyes drop, finding the room cleaned out, the dusty air, an echoing voice, then I click the conversation off, snap it like a little coin purse. I hoard my luck.
1: Can you talk a little bit about how, where this poem sits in reference to the the rest of your book?
0: Well, the book is about uh, fortune, work. Um, It has a lot of document poems on uh, manual labor, industrial violence, uh, slave labor in the United States, uh, and other ways in which our bodies produce things, and the things that we produce sort of change our bodies back. So we make an object, and the object remakes us. Um, surrounding that are some other stories and personal poems um, that are going on as well. And this is starts it off, it's just a little poem on um, enclosures and predictions of uh, the future and how somebody thinks about um, fortune and luck and so on. Now, I have a friend who, whenever you wonder, well, could this happen or could this not happen, she always says, no, nah, it's not going to happen. Hmm. So I just kind of grabbed that and made that into a little uh, monologue about um, fortune. And the snap of the coin purse is the snap closed of the possibilities of the future.
2: So what's your like process um, in creating a new book and all the poems and uh, piecing together the themes and all that?
0: Well, um Yeats started writing prose stories of his poems and then putting them into lines and i like that because it just got me kind of writing without i i fear the blank page Mm -hmm. and i don't feel competent to fill it so i think i'm not writing a poem i'm just writing some notes and i just start writing and do just kind of freestyle writing of prose and then i look back at it and um consider whether what what I said was any of any value much of it has to go out and it's rambling and it's recircling itself and so on and then um, then I um, actually will go through a poetry anthology and look at stanza shapes and consider stanza shapes and then I sometimes find a renaissance stanza shape I don't think I did it for this poem which is in three line stanzas it's got a little indented third line like a ballad But um, then I look at the phrases and I sort of do something which I actually am telling you about, but I don't recommend, which (laughs) is to kind of cram my prose phrases into poetry lines. And then the whole thing gets revised because most of it is not working.
1: Why wouldn't you recommend that?
0: Um, It's, do you ever see someone who bowls a lot on their own?
1: who goes bowling by yeah, themselves?
0: Yeah, bowling by himself. I've
1: never seen that. I they're believe always, you.
0: they're over in line in lane 19. <laughs> they have a wrist guard, they have a, a special bag, they have a cloth. <laughs> they have a very weird way of bowling. Mm-hmm. This is from having done it too long and things have gotten weirder and weirder. You don't want to learn bowling from that person. You want to just throw the ball. That is Get your lane and just throw <laughs> throw your own ball ignore that man he's there he's a pathetic character he's a he's having his big social moment in lane 19. Mm-hmm. so this is um not something i would necessarily recommend initially but i do think about poems as a little bit like statuary one way to do it is to take pieces of clay and add and build up the other way is to take a big block and chip away mm-hmm. i'm more of the big block chip away type than the little plaything, although this looks like a, this is a narrow little poem.
1: A Michelangelo attempt at poetry, I guess.
0: Uh, yeah, that must be it. <laughs> but there's lots of ways of getting started. But I, I think just lowering the entry level is crucial. And if you start thinking about something as being important and all the rest of that, it'll just it'll make your language abstract and you'll write in bad imitation of the poet you want to think yourself as being. I don't think about being a poet at all. Mm-hmm. I just think about writing a poem. Being a poet is something else. I mean, there's Why? there's drug requirements, <laughs> funny clothes, hats, divorce, miseries. Lots of It's too much. You <laughs> can't even get out of bed in the morning with the pressure like that. Um, Frank O'Hara says in a poem, Why I'm Not a Painter, he says it was even in prose, he talks about writing a poem, he says it was even in prose, I was a real poet, which is just a kind of joke against mm-hmm. the pretensions of the art. And certainly now with publishing getting much more lateral and internet options and spoken mm-hmm. word options and so forth, there's lots of places for poetry that aren't behind the pulpit or lectern or stage and people can share things. Most people are writing poems interpersonally. Mm-hmm. They write a poem out of misery or as a letter or as a solicitation and so forth, um, and uh, so I think it's alive and well and all over the place. 20 years ago, I, uh, when I first came to Georgetown, I was working with the poet Lorette, Robert Pinsky, and doing the Favorite poem Project. There's some wonderful videos that came out of that. And it was a very simple project that went nationwide. We got tens of thousands of responses. Basically, it said, what's your favorite poem? Not your own poem. Mm. Poem by somebody else. Mm. And all sorts of people wrote in, this is this is the antediluvian age when they wrote it in on postcards. People wrote in their favorite poems. A lot of them were from school or church. Some of them were songs and some of them were just things that came came to. But one thing that you found out is that the poem has a purpose in people's lives. It's not a literary object that's there to be revered and admired. It's a functional aspect of what you're doing in the world. And it fortifies and helps you. Um, move forward in the world. There's a great little essay I give my students by an Italian poet, Eugenio Montale, called The Second Life of Art. And The Second Life of Art contends that shreds of poems kind of circulate around in your body. And then when you enter a new situation, suddenly that poem is drawn up for reasons you know or don't know. I've been humming. We all live in a yellow submarine for about 40 years now. (laughs) It's actually going to be no good at all, but it's kind of there and it it gets, the lyricism gets in you and I think it helps protect you against weird circumstances.
1: The same thing can kind of happen with discussing material as your material, so the document poems, um, where you might not start to notice things in your life unless there's a context or something pushing you forward that Mm -hmm. would make you see that thing. Right. Could you talk a little bit about whether or not you think that that helped with Fort Necessity, or if if that aided in your process at all?
0: Well, that was Fort Necessity is based on a lot of uh, kind of it's not something I would recommend to someone starting poems. I wanted to write the story about uh, industrial life in America, but I wanted to have the voices of history speak out as themselves without a moderating narrator, mm. without me, and. Um, I guess it's a, a kind of a bizarre uh, version of Whitman's view, through me past the long, dumb voices, he says. He feels himself to be a kind of a chamber through which suppressed voices of history can um, be heard. I'm not sure I was up to that project, <laughs> but I did want to consider how what happened to the American body when it was... Put into the industrial complex and um, so there are various figures and personalities who had notable things to say and I took these prose articles that includes um, sermons and menus and court transcripts and newspaper uh, articles and memoirs and I shaped them into formal poems with the view that there was a poem inside the prose So that was the process. Whether it works or not, I can't say. Here's one on um, a description by a muckraking journalist named Ida Tarbell on um, John D. Rockefeller, who was the richest man in the world and then lost all his hair to the disease called alopecia. Mm. So as of today, on February 8th, we're worried about the richest man in the world because he's Jeff Bezos, also without much hair. (laughs) in the news. Corporate head, alopecia. So these, all these, these are poetry lines, but these are all by, from Ida Tarbell's prose. The disease has swept Mr. Rockefeller's head, bare of hair, stripped away even his eyelashes and eyebrows, has revealed all the strength of his great head, curious bumps, and tightly drawn, dry, naked skin. His mouth, its former mask, The full moustache is now completely gone. Indeed the greatest loss Mr. Rockefeller sustained when his hair went was that it revealed his mouth. It is only a slit, the lips quite lost as if by eternal grinding together of the teeth, teeth set on something he would have. It is at once the cruelest feature of this face, this mouth, the cruelest and the most pathetic, for the hard, close-set line slants downward at at the corners giving a look of age and sadness. Mm-hmm. So this book doesn't just voice the victims of industrial work, but also the plutocrats who ran it, who mm-hmm. themselves were subject to the problems of the system and um, ills that touch their bodies as well. There's other kinds of frames. I don't know if I can keep talking. Should yeah, I? If
1: I? If you're on, uh, a, thought, so. on have, just I I a thought, let it slow. <laughs> Yeah.
0: You can edit it out later. Yeah. Um, there's lots of little frames for poems, and sometimes they help you by they the poems are pattern language. Sometimes we don't know what the pattern is, and it it I recommend grabbing a pattern that's not your own, and sitting inside of it, and then sort of working with it or disliking it and changing it. So, um, uh, Robert Pinsky uh, had written a, an abecedarian poem, which is a 26 word poem from A to Z. Um, and it starts, anybody, anybody can die evidently. Which mm-hmm. I thought, man, I didn't <laughs> realize that phrase, it was A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. And they went on from, from that. So I liked it, but um, at the same time, I uh, was competitive against my teacher, which I uh, think is good a good thing to be. And so I wrote a backward alphabet poem Um, regarding a divorce, and about someone getting ripped off, um, all the money getting ripped off. It's called Zero Account, so it goes from Z to A. It's 25. Zero Account is the first word. Your ex, withdrawn, vengeful, undertakes the spousal ripoff. Quivering passion, once negated, murders love. Kindness, justice, is how greed frames every divorce, Cupid's backstabbing alphabet. That an initial problem with the draft of a poem can be, say you wrote it in the heat of certain feelings. Fair enough, I mean, that's the reason, that's the source of the poem, that's how it happened. But the poem, um, it one way, the poem can continue on in the world is that it leaves you and it goes off and it makes its own it makes its own little path and it's picked up by someone who doesn't know you doesn't care about you and doesn't share your feeling Mm. so the poem has to engender the feelings in the reader not be simply a reflection of the reader of the feelings of the writer and that um, is one of the big difficulties in uh, people getting started with poem. The other difficulty is revising. Mm-hmm. From these notes, you think about doing something else with your poem. Well, you don't want to do something else with your poem. Why? It's your little baby. Yeah. It mirrors the feelings you had on the day that you wrote it. Now, you're being, now you don't feel that way. You moved on. The poem hasn't moved on. The poem is back there what? echoing <laughs> those feelings. And now you're supposed to change those feelings? You feel disloyal to yourself and your emotional life. Awful. That's what we have them do.
2: Yeah. It is hard. Changing poems and having to, yeah, go back to a place where maybe you don't want to go back to. Um,
0: And maybe the poem would be better if it was disloyal to where you were at that that place. mm. What if the poem could be better for you lying about what happened to you? Could it be a better poem? Less truthful, more powerful.
2: Yeah. Even like the question of truth in poetry. Mm. Um, a lot of times, you know, you write poems and people always want to know, like, who's that about or, right. you know... Right, they
0: want gossip,
2: Right, and it's like, you know, it's not always about someone in particular. Sometimes it's just an idea or if it's, you know, lots of different people put together, mixed up, you know. And so that's always a interesting conversation to have with people people come to you like thirsty wanting to know
1: (laughs) demanding to know who is this you know about or there's something about poetry writing that is a little bit similar to I guess or what people want it to be similar to is documentary filmmaking where it's these snippets of this real life thing and that isn't fair there's a a benefit, I think, to, what is it, narrative writing or when you're writing a, a novel or something else where mm-hmm. if you are creating characters and you're having them talk with each other, um,
0: you get, get out of yourself.
1: Right. You get mm-hmm. to yeah. you get to fictionalize everything and that right. is allowed. And for some reason, I feel that and I don't know where I get this idea from uh, or how it was put into me. But that poetry does have this label of truth that you're supposed to stick with. Mm-hmm. That's pretty limiting, I think.
0: Yeah, well, lyric po- poetry sometimes has this uh, little um, headliner view that it's um, about the intimate life, about your intimate life, mm-hmm. what happened to you, and what you did then, and so forth. And so people, people's interest is is voyeuristic. They want to know that you're <laughs> what what did he say? Did he dump you? All the rest of that. So, but that's. Um, only one of the things the poem can do and um, if, it's, if the coin purse is, makes sense to you your sense of it is different than my, my sense would be my mm-hmm. sense is, the fa- is a faded sense and um, the uh, teacher once told me that uh, which I think is true the poem, a good poem has a secret in it that the poet doesn't know as another option, as another opportunity. But that's because you, as a reader, take up the poem and it reflects something out of your experience. So now it's gotten away from, it's all about me. Um, In For Necessity, I wasn't trying to write poems about, there are a lot of poems that are about me, 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 me. me. (laughs) But the title poem is about other people and what's happened to them. And I'm trying to get their voices and trying to stay out of the way. So it's not so much, what am I thinking about? But what are they saying? What are they saying to each other? And with that kind of poem, a set of document poems, you're trying to get the voices to speak to each other directly. Voices that never met each other in life speak together in a poem. And that's a different type of dramatic experience. Um, And one that I can't provide if I'm in this center stage with a microphone well here's one i I did mix up the uh, poems in here with the frame of the of the title poem is about me helping my father with an autopsy because he was a pathologist and i helped dad at the office my first autopsy age 10 a man walked into emergency dropped dead his body was a garden my father tilled blade plowing the flesh seeking his death but part of his life had killed him. My father grasped dead arms. This is a working man. Little helper, I touched the puzzle of his hand. Ruts and scorch marks, yellow-brown nicotine, nails, map of the defiant artifice, yielding, yielding from the heart's glutted tube a black crumb my father took for death. He made me witness unspeakable injury, cut my childhood under its blank sheet. So I certainly remember the um, moment when my father was grabbing the arms of this corpse and told me that he was, in the way he was built, um, he was a working man. So here's another poem that I got out of an interview with Alan Lomax. Alan Lomax this is a great recorder of American voices. went around in the 30s for the Library of Congress and recorded um, a, lo- a lot of workers, a lot of convicts, convict songs and so forth. This is called Job Sonnet. This is a minor caught in the mines. And it, it, I put it into a sonnet, um, but it was just, uh, you can hear the voice of this. Got this way in the mines. We was pumping an old hole dry, did a record job. But they, would give us, they wouldn't give us no stove to dry our clothes at. At night, we'd take off wet clothes. Next morning, when we'd put them on, they'd be frozen. Well, a little while of that, and I couldn't turn my head. Boss said, you'll get along. Three men died of consumption later, and if I didn't die right away, I've been dying by inches ever since. Look at these hands. His fingers were yellow, curled like chicken feet. The flesh of his arms turned into dry pulpy wood. Not very uplifting. (laughs) Let me me give you some other prompts for poems. Yes. There's a little poem called, that I'm, I guess I'm calling, I don't know, that's the official name for it, a litany poem, which is just adding up all the names about something. Oh. you don't have to say anything about it the names will say it so you can do like money, sex, sauce cars, whatever you like <laughs> this one's the name of the hair by uh, Seamus Heaney who I had the good fortune of studying with long ago and it's about the names of the hair so I am just read part of it um, the hair, call him scotard big fellow, chard, the O'Hare, the jumper, the rascal, the racer the waimout, the messer, the skedaddler, the nibbler, the illmet, the slabber, the quick scut, the dew flirt, the grass biter, the goybert. Who knows what a goybert? <laughs> it just sounds great. Home late, the dew, the dirt. This, the stubble stag, the long legs, the stook deer, the frisky legs, the wild one, the skipper, the hug the ground, the lurker, the race, the wind, the Skyver, the shadow shifter, the hedge squatter, the dew hammer, the dew hopper. I don't know if these are real names or he's just making them up. Right. The sit tight, the grass bounder, the jigfoot, the earth sitter, the lightfoot, the fern sitter, the kale stag, the herb cropper. On and on it goes.
1: I love that you said, I'm not sure how many what? of these are real and what might have been made up, especially in the context of the conversation that we had about that poetry doesn't necessarily need to wholly come from truth and that you have the option to... Use a voice that isn't yours as well. Yeah. I think that for the prompts this week it would be cool to to ask for a list poem or a litany poem. Yeah. With additions of something that you think suits the list but doesn't that but that comes from
0: That should be on the that list. Sh-
1: that yeah. sh- right.
0: Right. It doesn't I don't know that it, it ever comes from truth. I mean where's right. the truth?
1: Yeah. I know. Yeah. yeah. It
0: comes from stuff. And maybe it supplies a truth that pretends to be a fact.
2: And it can be fun. You can play with it. You know, it doesn't have to be like this super serious, you know, poem. I think that's what I tend to hear from some people. They feel like, oh, I don't know how to write. I can't write poetry because they think it has to be this like, I don't know, deep, soulful thing. Um, which, again, goes into, like, what does it mean to be a poet? You have to be a certain kind of way. You have to, you know, portray a certain kind of personality. And it's like, you know, you don't have to do that or put those sort of don't. barriers on yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Blake has a little phrase, the mind-forged manacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, our, our own mind is what's holding us back.
1: Mm-hmm. And pulling from... Something like a thesaurus and a list is probably a really great way to break out of that initially to escape the fear of the blank page.
0: Yeah, get, in, get into the foam of the language and just play around with it.
2: Yeah, grabbing hold of something a- tangible instead of, you know, it being this thing that has to like just come from out of view, you know?
0: Um, here's one that does, grabs from like the idea of a menu. It's by Michael and Dodge, a wonderful. Canadian poet is best known as the author of the novel, The English Patient. So it's called Rat Jelly, and it's, I think it's about sexual jealousy, but it, it uses menu language. See the rat in the jelly, steaming dirty hair, frozen, bring it out on a glass tray, split the pie four ways, and eat. I took great care in cooking this treat for you, and though it looks good, And though it smells of the Westinghouse still, and tastes of exotic fish, or maybe the expensive arse of a cow, I want you to know it's rat, steaming dirty hair, and still alive. Caught him last Sunday, thinking of the fridge, thinking of you.
2: That was a twist.
0: (laughs) Revenge is served up cold. Oh, yeah. Rat jelly.
1: And then to get to put that in the context of something like a menu um, is sort of this gift to to get to be as kind of gross as you want. Yep. And then the poetry comes in the organization often, Mm. I think.
0: As I say, it's pattern language, so grab the different patterns. Grocery lists. Mm. Yeah. Menus. Any kinds of thing could be the, the sort of frame and any um, beliefs, attitudes, and so forth that keep you from getting writing done should really have a cold look at them. Are they helping you in any way? Are they, are they having to do with high standards or are they, is it just a, a way of being fearful?
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Poetry Prompt Podcast. This week's prompt and all other prompts are on our website at the poetrypromptpodcast at Georgetown.domains. Again, that's thepoetrypromptpodcast.georgetown.domains. Thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week.